0: Welcome to The Buzz, I'm Christopher Conover. Tis the winter solstice, the shortest day and longest night of the year when the sun reaches its southernmost point in the sky. This day marks the beginning of winter in the northern hemisphere and a time of celebration for many cultures. On today's show, we'll spend time talking about different ways people celebrate and observe the winter solstice. Pull up a chair, grab a cup of tea, and join us. Winter is a season of holidays when we gather together and celebrate in many different fashions. Andrea McComb-Sanchez is a religious studies professor at the University of Arizona who specializes in Native American and Southwestern religious traditions. To begin our interview, I asked her why so many religious celebrations and ceremonies occur around the winter solstice.
1: Well, I mean, as we see, there's so many obvious changes at this time that are, that are um, sometimes painful, right? The, the lack of light, the, the cold, right, that all comes. In. And it does happen slowly, but then it seems to happen quicker and quicker as it gets closer to the solstice. Um, and so this is a time when I think people notice these profound changes, and it brings um, in need for community. It brings in um, a need for closeness. And I think that's part of what would inspire religious celebrations and ceremonies during this time period.
0: So a lot of the the celebrations, regardless of the religion, are really tied to the solstice, either officially or just seasonally, it sounds like.
1: I mean, yeah, but there's there's a lot of ceremonies year round in in all religious traditions. And there's just happens to be some, um, you know, often in times of of change. So summer solstice, winter solstice, um, vernal equinox, right, Um, all of these these times. And so um, particularly with with indigenous people, they have very full ceremonial calendars. And so there's important ceremonies all during the year. There's just particular ones that need to be done during the season because of what's happening.
0: You specialize a lot in Native American religion, and I guess based on what you said, a lot of Native American religious ceremonies are also tied to the astronomical calendar, is that correct?
1: Yeah, um, to, to seasons, to, um, to place, to, to history, right, to, to all of these things, but um, particularly for agricultural peoples, the seasons are, are very important, right, and so this is the end of harvest, right? So the end of harvest just happened, things are getting wrapped up, things are getting stored. So that part of life is, is, is over for the moment. It enters for many people then into what would traditionally be hunting time. Those transitions are, are marked by paying attention. And, and part of what ceremony is, is, is paying attention. I mean, it's a lot of other things, but that's one small part of it.
0: We're talking about Native American religion and how it is often tied to the seasons and things like that. What's an example? Um, Most of us know... Christmas, Hanukkah, mm-hmm. things like that, but don't know some of the Native American holidays. So what's an example?
1: Okay, well, one of the most well-known ones occurs at Hopi. So around the uh, time of the winter solstice, there is a ceremony um, around that on, on the sun. And so um, part of that is recognizing that the sun is has gotten very far away, and the ceremony is to help bring it back, bring it back close. And that's um, a, a very important ceremony for Hopi. And part of that ceremony as well has to do with the Katsinam, otherwise or colloquial known as kachinas. Around the winter solstice marks the time when they begin residing within the village. And they reside within the village, villages for six months and then back to the San Francisco peaks um, for the other six months. And that begins around the winter solstice. And so there are important ceremonies that are done to welcome the Katsinam into the community. People um, embody that cutscenum and then have, you know, throughout that six-month period, then have ceremonies that involve them because they're a very important intermediary spiritual beings that are spoken to, have relationships with, have responsibilities towards in order to, um, to have a balanced society, in order to have rain, in order to have health, in order to have good lives.
0: Are most of the religious ceremonies, be they Native American or the ones that people are more familiar with, Christianity, Judaism, Islam, are they tied to the natural world at their heart, most of them?
1: No, no. I would say um, uh, Native American and indigenous more broadly, yes, absolutely. For Native American religious tradition, spirituality the earth, the land, the ecosystem, plants, animal beings, um, plant beings are integral to the understanding of people's place within the world. And so people are interconnected with the world, are part of the world. They're they're human and so they have their own particular responsibilities such as ceremony, such as passing on stories, and, and these important stories which tell of, of interrelationships and of the responsibilities of human beings. And so you often hear people talking about being um, Native people, about you know the caretakers of this land, right? The Tana Otham, whose land we are on um, currently, that Tucson is on, are the caretakers of this land. And so their ceremonies are... are intertwined, their stories, their personhood is is intertwined with this land base. And that's something that is very different from other religious traditions that are universal, that are very mobile, right, that can go from place to place because they are not tied to places. But um, indigenous religious traditions are profoundly tied to places, to ecosystems, to the plant beings and animal beings that live there with people.
0: When it comes to the Eastern Pueblos, for example, and and other Native American communities that have now a Christian tradition in them, but also obviously their own traditions that date back uh, before the Christian traditions, how well do those two balance out uh, culturally within those communities?
1: For Pueblo people, there isn't a conflict there. They both do important things. Both um, are important parts of Of the ceremonial calendar both are parts of the community and so the tension has mostly been from the outside right of saying like how can you believe both of those things or religion isn't just about belief that's just a small part of it right it's about doing it's about action it's about coming together and and participating and and so to participate in a Christian ritual is important just like participating in a deer dance
0: we're talking with Andrea Macomb Sanchez, a religious studies professor at the University of Arizona. Very often the winter holidays are a time families get together and and, and share stories. Is, is that a unique thing within, for example, Christianity, or does that go across all religions and all you know, this time of year as people are getting together for celebrations?
1: I mean, stories are, are important for all peoples. I think it's, it's where identity can come from worldview sense of self right and for native peoples for native americans stories are so much more than just stories because they are oral traditions they're oral cultures and so so much is is bound up in these narratives, and then the word story can kind of um, minimize what it means. One way we can think about some of them is sacred narratives, right? And these would be told traditionally in the winter time. Um, many of these stories, it was important that either the first snow would come in places that it snows, or or that it became the dark times, like so around the winter solstice, and that would be you know because people would have time. To get together, you know, they they were, they were done harvesting. All that hard work was done, but that's when the elders um, would would tell the the elders with the knowledge would would tell these stories, and these stories would tell of of origins, right? Where where people came from, where they emerged from, in the case of some tribes searching finding home finding that place that they are meant to be right as we talked about the importance of the land it's because people found their place right the place where they became who they are as people but you also find um, more recent histories you find morals ethics right Um, this where people are taught who their brothers and sisters are outside of the human community right plant beings animal beings and the relationships that people have and the responsibility that humans have are all found in these stories. So it's so much more than just entertainment, right? It is It is a core of, of who... People are and how people grow to understand themselves to be and who they are within this world. And, and a lot of that is, is learning responsibility um, and responsibilities, which are then part of ceremony as well, because these sacred narratives are also intimately connected to the ceremonies, right? There are reasons for these ceremonies, why they came to be, how they came to be, and all this is found in, the, in these narratives. And while a lot of those practices aren't happening as much, they are still being carried forward.
0: All right. Well, thanks for sitting down with
1: us. Well, thank you for having me.
0: That was Andrea Macomb-Sanchez, a religious studies professor at the University of Arizona. This week we're spending time talking about the various religious and cultural celebrations that occur around the winter solstice. Danielle Adams is a cultural astronomer, someone who studies the astronomical systems of different cultures, often ancient ones. She recently received her Ph.D. from the University of Arizona. I asked her the same question. Why are so many religious celebrations tied to the winter solstice?
2: Well, I suppose I'm not certain that there are more tied to winter than summer. Some celebrations are based on solar calendars and happen at the same time each year. Others are based on lunar calendars and move throughout the year. Uh, Still others are based on luni solar calendars where the basis is lunar, but it resets so it
0: doesn't move too much throughout the year. When it comes to religious celebrations, are many of them tied to lunar solar calendars uh, so that they hit the summer solstice, they hit the winter solstice as, as our days get shorter now?
2: A lot of them are. So, for example, you know, we're approaching Christmas, and Christmas is, of course, a fixed date. It's the 25th each year. Uh, But something like Hanukkah is based on a lunisolar calendar where it happens about the same time each year, but it moves within that short period of time.
0: You created a project called Two Deserts, One Sky. Fascinating website. Tell us a little bit about it.
2: Sure. The whole notion of Two Deserts, One Sky is that here in Arizona, our latitude is really similar to the latitude of large portions of the Middle East. The sky pretty much looks the same at similar latitudes. So our sky looks a lot like the sky around the world at 32 degrees north. So this project was conceived as something to help bridge the gap of understanding uh, between us here in the U.S. in the Sonoran Desert and the Arabian Desert, a lot of times in the news, we just hear the bad things about um, Muslims or Arabs. We don't hear a lot of good, interesting, uplifting kind of stories. And so this was kind of a bridge across the two cultures. But also there's, there's a, a strong reason for it. It wasn't just chosen randomly. When you look at the night sky, it's the result of a mashup of different interactions with many different cultures across time that has now been frozen and codified in, you know, internationally recognized star names and star charts and things like that. So generally, when you look at the night sky, you are looking at, Constellations like, you know, Orion and Gemini and Leo, Scorpius, these are mostly Greek constellation figures that derived from Babylonian constellation figures. And today they have Roman names like Scorpius, it's not a Greek name. And many of the internationally recognized star names in each constellation come from Arabic
0: names. Is there an example that the average Tucsonan backyard astronomer would know uh, of that, a particular constellation, particular star?
2: Absolutely. Uh, there are many of them. So, for example, one of the most well-known star names is Vega. And Vega comes from the Arabic Anasr al waqia And Anasr means the vulture, uh, sometimes it's translated as the eagle, but it's really a vulture. It's a different kind of animal. Al-waqya means the one that is alighting on a surface. So it's, it's a bird coming down, getting ready to land on a surface, and its wings are angled downwards like an upside-down V. And when you look at this star, it's a very, very bright star, but it has two stars that are close to it, arranged in an upside-down V-shape when it's setting.
0: Well, now I have to go get my telescope tonight and go out in the backyard and see if I can see them, A, if they're up, and, and B, now look at those two stars. Thank you for giving me a project for Absolutely. the Absolutely.
2: <laughs> and they will be up. They'll be in the west. Uh, they're Starting to descend, uh, they're part of what we know as the Summer Triangle of stars, but they are still visible tonight. Can you talk
0: some about the ways the people in the Southwest or the people in the Middle East use the night sky to guide their activities, be it agriculture, hunting, gathering?
2: Throughout the year, the position of any star is based on the time of night and the day or season of the year. What this means is that you can time seasonal changes based on the position of a star in the sky. So, of course, in the desert, the most critical thing is water, water, right, rain. So because the stars are setting on the same day every year, When you have annual seasonal rains that coincide with the setting of that star, then, you know, you've got your marker. And, you know, once you have a benchmark like that, you can know that, okay, this year the rains are a little bit late.
0: Do we see any of this knowledge used today, or is this all just lost uh, to time and to people who've taken the time, like yourself, to, to study it?
2: Some of it survives today. How much exactly? I'm uncertain, and this is something I would love to research as a future piece of my studies.
0: We started this conversation talking about the winter solstice and religion and religious celebrations. The three major Western religions, if you will, Christianity, Judaism, Islam, all came out of the Middle East. How has the role of astronomy changed as each of those religions has grown and become more popular around the world?
2: In the case of Islam, If we go back in time, we see that many of these practices that I've been speaking about were in existence before the advent of Islam. And shortly after Islam developed, then we see that there are many traditions within Islam that actually depend uh, on the positions of celestial objects. So uh, the five daily prayers are dependent on the positions of the sun, at different points of the day. The month of Ramadan of fasting is dependent on the visible sighting of the new crescent moon, both to start and to end the month. And then you, know, you pray in the direction of Mecca, you have to know what that direction is. And so we, we see through time, there's been a transfer of visual observation to dependence on technology for some of these pieces. So obviously clocks can tell you when it's the right time to pray, and you know, modern-day Muslims have access to apps on their iPhones and whatnot that'll tell them for their location what the proper times are to pray based on the sun's position in that location and time
0: zone. All right. Well, thanks for sitting down and chatting with us. Absolutely. That was cultural astronomer Danielle Adams. Find a link to her website, Two Deserts, One Sky, in the show notes on our website. While most are familiar with winter holidays of major religions, Christmas, Hanukkah, Diwali, there are also other less-known celebrations this time of year. Lady Carol Gar is a third-degree eclectic Wiccan priestess. What does that mean exactly? I asked her to start by explaining paganism and its roots.
3: Paganism is just very simply a nature-based religion. It's an umbrella term, kind of like Christian is, and Wicca is a denomination, we call them traditions, of paganism. Wicca follows certain procedures and ritual practices, originally started by Gerald Gardner. People think Wicca is an ancient religion. It's not, but its roots are ancient. It is based on the old nature religions back in the Stone Age when people were seeing the game and the plants, and if things didn't flourish, then they died. So they were honoring the sun because if they were in a colder climate and the sun wasn't up there very much, they were going to freeze. They were honoring women because women gave birth, and that was how the tribe continued. They honored the growth of the plants. Some of them were hunter-gatherers. If there was nothing to gather, again, they starved. So those are the roots of paganism. It's something that appeals to people that perhaps don't find what they're looking for in traditional religions. We don't have dogma. You don't have to believe X, Y, Z. Either you believe what we, we teach, or maybe this isn't the right path for you. We don't say it's the only path.
0: In Southern Arizona, how many people are following pagan traditions?
3: That's really, really hard to say because many people are what we call solitary they're practicing on their own. Especially now they learn for books, they learn from the internet, frequently from the internet, and they may not even go out and associate with other pagans. I would say we know of, I would say several hundred in, you know, in southern Arizona, uh, some of whom interact with others and some don't. It's more like a spider web. Um, a few of us know A few more and a few more and a few more. And some of us are very public. Um, I have been public now uh, for probably 25 years. But there are people who are still afraid to let their families know if their families are very strict, uh, especially Christians, but other religions too. People are afraid of which. They don't understand that this is not something from the Middle Ages, and, and no, we don't, you know, twitch our nose, and, <laughs> and, and we can't turn you into a toad, but...
0: Whether you deserve it or not. Whether
3: you deserve it or not, exactly.
0: We're talking with Lady Carol Gar, a third-degree eclectic Wiccan priestess. We have reached winter solstice, which most people think of as the longest night uh, of the year, the shortest day of the year. But in pagan traditions, it's a big holiday. Talk about the importance of the winter solstice.
3: The winter solstice is the time that to us the sun god is reborn. Kind of interesting, isn't it? Uh, the Christians say that the son of God is bo- reborn or is born, and we see that the sun is reborn because we see that the sun is going to be up longer. The days are gonna start to get longer. And think back to the ancient traditions. Those people didn't know that it was gonna do that. They just saw it get darker and darker and darker. And they might have been afraid that the sun would never come back, that the light would never return. And when it did, that was cause for celebration. So we celebrate that. We celebrate the return of the light. We celebrate the rebirth of growth because we've been coming into the waning year. We've gone through the waning year with it getting darker. And as our holidays have have passed on what we call the wheel of the year, we come to Yule. And Yule we see as rebirth.
0: What are some of the traditions, uh, in the celebration of the solstice?
3: Those can be pretty varied. Uh, One of them is uh, there's a coven in town that meets on the night before the actual solstice, and they meet, well, early, early in the morning, and they greet the sun as it comes up by singing, and they sing up the sun. Really a cool tradition. There are people who do what they call the Battle of the Kings. And that's a symbolic battle between the king of the, and we're talking about the sun king and uh, the holly king. They actually will enact a mock battle of the oak king and the holly king battling for possession of the year. They're seen as brothers who who take over part of the year. And the oak king wins at the solstice because he is in charge of the waxing year, the growing cycle. And so from Yule on to Leha, which is our celebration of the summer solstice, the Oak King has dominion. And then the Holly King who guides the waning year takes over at the, the summer solstice. There's also uh, feasting. Sometimes we enact a rebirth. And one thing that is done at some rituals is that the participants will actually crawl through the legs of the high priestess, symbolizing, again, rebirth. That's the thing. I'm
0: hearing some things that I think a lot of our listeners will notice uh, that are very common. I'm hearing about holly. I'm hearing about yule and yule logs. And this is all very familiar, I think, to a lot of listeners, but in the Christmas tradition. It sounds like uh, paganism predates Christianity. Yes. It sounds like there may have been some some holiday tradition borrowing, shall we say.
3: Absolutely. Uh, one way that people who try to change people's minds is to make them relate, so why would they not want to use some of the same traditions? we're celebrating some of the same things. We're celebrating rebirth. We're celebrating potential. We're celebrating joy in light. So the Yule log is light, it's fire. So of course we have that. We have Christmas lights. We have Yule trees. And you know, yes, we have a Yule tree. Uh, It's, you know, it's an evergreen. It symbolizes life. And to me, that's beautiful. It's a promise that spring is going to come again. And in the times when it's cold, and it's pretty cold for us in Tucson today, it's going to get warm again. And the plants are going to be happy. And so are we.
0: That was Lady Carol Garr. She's a third-degree eclectic Wiccan priestess. And that's the buzz for this week. Next week, The Buzz is taking a break to celebrate the holiday season. We wish the very best to you and yours, and we'll be back on January 4th. Do you have an idea for The Buzz? Let us know. Visit our website and click on Submit a Story Idea or share your thoughts on our Facebook page. Find all episodes online at azpm.org and subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcast. Just search for The Buzz Arizona. Ariana Brocious produced and edited the show. Jim Blackwood is our production engineer, Andrea Kelly is the news director, and our music is by Enter the Haggis. I'm Christopher Conover. Thanks for listening.
1: Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.